you made it in. I hope you're doing well. Uh, yeah, it's good to see everybody gathered uh, today for class. Sorry we missed last week. <clears throat> today we are going to hit the ground running because this is the last class in our series going through the writings of the Apostle John in your Bible. So you remember that was four books we've gone through. Uh, the Gospel of John, and then we did First John at the end of your New Testament, that first letter, and then we did Second John, that was two weeks ago, and today we'll finish out with Third John. We're not covering Revelation, sorry, we'll have to wait for another time to do that, written likely by the same author, but today we're going to be in Third John, and as a quick reminder, uh, two weeks ago when we were in Second John, do you remember we used a new method for uh, determining What's the message of this short letter? And so we'd like to do the same thing today, which is to use this sort of this new skill to jump into a letter. And I hope what you catch is that even the shortest letter in your New Testament has some of the richest information about what it means to follow Christ. And I hope you catch that today. So we're going to jump into third, third John. Remember in second John, the main message we caught was John writing to this elect lady to say to this assembly or congregation, here's what it means to practice what Jesus taught us, to practice agape or love. But that doesn't mean that you throw caution to the wind and close your mind and accept anybody who comes into town and show hospitality. You still test the spirits. You do not participate in the work that is evil if people come into town and are trying to teach something that's wrong. Several people came up after that class and said, well, does that mean that I'm supposed to kick out of my house anybody who doesn't agree with me or anybody who uh, believes something that's not correct? And what I told each of you who came up and asked that question was, I bet they asked John that same question. And I bet John probably wrote another letter to help answer <laughs> that question. And that answer to that question is here in third john so we're going to jump into third john see if we can figure out what it means here's the method that we're going to use and this is really just something to pass on to you if it's helpful great please use this if it's not helpful come up with your own approach but this is a way of saying uh, or, or providing a guard against just jumping into any passage of scripture and trying to determine what does this mean to me today without really doing the important work of figuring out what, is, what has the message always been in this letter? Uh, what is the, who is the letter written to? What's the letter really about? So that you don't fall uh, to the either accusation or fall into the trap of just arbitrarily applying something that has nothing to do with what the Bible is actually saying. So this is the method that helps protect against that. There's two rules when you're reading a New Testament letter. First, the Bible cannot mean something to us that it never meant to the original readers. And number two, on those points that we share something in common with the original audience, God's word to us is the same as God's word to them. That's what we're looking for. Is <laughs> We're looking for that, uh, those areas of common particulars or things we share in common. And so we use the, what's called the read-it method. And the read-it method is just an easy way to remember the steps that you go through. First, we read and reread the entire text. E stands for excavate for historically relevant statements. And then we allocate a passage for study. D stands for, at that point, we determine what the passage means for the original audience. We then identify common particulars that we share in common with the original audience, and then only at the end, only at the end, we 
uh, at, we ask, what does this passage mean for us today? Now, do you notice how we don't start with, what does this mean to me today? We start with reading the passage and only at the end figure out what it means today. Are we having problems with sound? We don't know. All Testing. right. Matt's got us covered. No. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's not coming through. All right, well, we'll speak. We'll speak up and speak loud. And since this most of today is going to be interaction, ask everybody to speak about a notch higher than you normally would so that everyone, everyone can hear. So today let's begin by reading 3rd John. And then we'll go through each of these steps. There we go. Hey Thanks, Matt. And we'll go through each of these steps. And uh, as we go through these, let's figure out what, what John not only was saying to the original audience, what is the message that is there for us in 3rd John today? So 3rd John. Tim, would you hey, read for and us? And just to piggyback real quickly off of what Bob just said on that read it approach, um, it's super helpful. Like, I hadn't really approached many of the letters that way or many of the New Testament books that way. And when you go at it from what did it mean to them first instead of what does it mean to me, it completely opens the door to lots of possibilities. Um, and it was super fun. So that's just my little uh, hooray to that approach. It's, it's great. And it's a skill you should keep with you and use in all kinds of books you read. Yeah. Um, so Third John, uh, and I'm reading from the ES, English Standard Version. Verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, or Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You would do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers." and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. All right. Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit and just say, here's the passage I'd like us to figure out the meaning of today. And that is verse 11, where John writes, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Now, let me take a quick exit ramp and say, in a normal Bible class in a modern time, I could just read that verse and say, we're going to study that verse today. And at the end of the class, what we would probably have done is come up with a long list of things that we define as good. And then we would have a long list of things that we define as evil. And we'd say, see, the Bible teaches us, don't imitate the evil, imitate the good. And we would all leave feeling like we had done a good job of learning what the Bible says to us. But if we took that approach, we would totally miss the real message of that passage to us today. 
And so let's take a step back and actually go through these steps, read the original letter, find out what we share in common, and then come back to this verse at the end and see if we can figure out what this verse really means to us. So we've read. Let's pretend that we reread yeah. the verse. And we, well, we have reread it several times. Well, we have, yes. And it only takes like less than two minutes, which is really easy to reread. Yeah. Um, so then you move on to E, which is excavate, where you try to find um, historical relevance. Uh, how can you know what's happening here? Build some background. Um, I like to relate it to, you know, you're building the scenery of the shot. What does it look like? Who's around? What's oh, yeah. happening? Um, and so there's, there's lots of things in here that give you clues to the time, the place, the people, the events. And so that's what you need to pull out at this point to get a context. So let's see if we can do that. Uh, and specifically, it's helpful to answer three questions. The first is, uh, what do we learn about the author who wrote this? Second, what do we learn about the recipients? And third, what do we learn about the occasion? I like that movie scene. That's a neat way to think of putting this together. I've always thought of it like you're standing next to somebody having a phone conversation with somebody else, and all you get to hear is one end of the conversation. Usually if you're listening to that, you can figure out something about the person talking. You can fill in the blanks and kind of figure out what the other person must be saying, and then you can figure out what the call's about. Is this a personal call between family members, or is it a business call? Or somebody politely trying to get off the phone from a solicitor, you know, uh, you can figure that out just by hearing one end of the, of the conversation. So let's try that. What, uh, what, as you hear this read and read it in your own Bible, what do we learn about the person who wrote this? What do we learn about the author? Go ahead, Mom. One, he's, he's an elder. Yeah, that's the very title at the beginning, The Elder. And we don't really know if that's older, <laughs> meaning elder in the sense of somebody who's older, or does this mean an official title? Probably both. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Steve. Ah, good. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, good job catching that. It's a common term that we hear. He clearly loves whoever this recipient is. Yes, James. Ah, and so are you referring to that greeting there at the beginning? Yeah, where he says, I I hope everything's going well with you. And then he says, your health and your entire self. Do we learn anything else about the one who's writing this? Say that again. He doesn't want to text them. Oh, that's a good way to put that in a modern sense. Yeah, what does he want to do? Yeah. Do you know what the literal translation is? You can't translate this way or everybody would say that's a little weird. It says he wants to come and speak with him mouth to mouth. (laughs) You think, well, that's a little little odd. But, yeah, so the translators helped us out. It means he wants to see him face to face. So do you get the idea that the author knows the recipient? Yeah, so there's probably a connection there too. What what do we know about this recipient? What's that? So he is loved, of course is. Well, and why don't you can you elaborate that word? What's that? That beloved. Oh, yeah. I think that's helpful. Why don't you elaborate it? Uh, so the word beloved is the root of that is agape, which, if you recall, we spent a whole class talking about how that connects you back to hesed from 
from the Hebrew Bible talking about this will, this intentional action to do betterment for other people. And so essentially what you're getting is there's a deep-rooted, um, strong emotional, physical, mental attachment between these two people. It's not someone he kind of like, he's not an associate, he's not someone he maybe kind of knows, um, it's someone he's deeply connected to. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And the, that word, agape, is hidden in places that may be translated as a different word. One of those is beloved. Uh, so he says to Gaius, the beloved. It's actually the one I agape. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good, yeah. Stephen points out there that he's complimenting Gaius for something that he describes as walking in truth. So we know that Gaius is doing something good. Yeah. Is there anything else that you can pull out about, guys? So maybe it's a predominantly Jewish church there, but what caught your eye was this idea of people going out without receiving help from non-Jewish people, from Gentiles. Okay, good. Which, Which you've seen before, right? So we have you have instances of that happening in the Gospels, where the twelve are sent out, the seventy-two are sent out, and they're specifically told, "Don't take anything with you." Um, and then you pointed out the word "accepting" doesn't necessarily mean that they refused to take something from them, but it could mean that they weren't ever offered anything by them. Yeah. So, so they could have they could have come into a place, and the gent and well, and even the word "gentiles" has to be explained a little bit too, but. Um, it could have been that nobody else offered them anything. Um, nobody else showed them kindness. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about, did you, did you catch here that there is this term brothers gets used a couple of times, that uh, there are these people who are not receiving help from the Gentiles that are doing something good, going out for the sake of the name. Tell me what we learn about that group of people that are just labeled here brothers. And maybe sisters. And it's, yeah, the term, and that's important to, to actually state there, is that the term in your Bible is usually translated brothers. Some of your translations may say brothers and sisters. The term there is just meant to say, yeah, the people. The people of the faith. People of the faith. I was trying to think what part of the country says guys. Yeah, a bunch of guys went out. <laughs> and it used to be that that, well, that was guys and girls, and then you have to separate those out. But culturally, we may miss that, that this is just saying people that went out for the sake of the name. What, uh, what can we learn about them, though, by just excavating from this letter? What do we learn about these people? Ah, interesting. Yeah, do you catch that? Yeah, who who did the author, this presbyter, this elder, who told him about what Gaius was doing that was good? It was these people that were strangers to Gaius. Maybe not so much strangers to John. That's an interesting thought. And so, yeah, so we learn that these people are traveling and they're passing information. So they're doing the texting, right? They are the text that's moving from one place to the other. Do you learn anything else about them? So they're faithful. Good. So we get the idea they're teaching what's good. 
unlike second John, we learned there were teachings, people who were teaching what's wrong. Good. Yeah, so we have these people, brothers and sisters, who are traveling, who are not receiving help from some non, can we just say non-Christian source or non, uh, you know, church source. Um, this, this would be analogous today to, uh, you know, that there, in, in this assembly, in this congregation, there are people doing all kinds of work for the name. Uh, some of us receive help from the Gentiles, so to speak. And that may be in the form of our employment. We get paid by our employer, and we use some of that money to do something that our employer has nothing to do with. We do good, good works. But there are people who don't receive any help from an employer or, uh, you know, someone in our culture or from any kind of secular source. And it's the responsibility of the assembly to help support people who are doing that. So you have that same dynamic we see. Sorry to jump ahead there and look for common ground. We're still excavating. Yeah, we're still excavating. But you get the idea there that these people did not receive help from outside sources that would have been, we, today we'd say secular sources. There they called Gentile. And so we get the idea that these brothers are going back and forth. Now you start to see this, I like this idea, we're building the movie scene in which we have this, this elder who's writing a letter. Now if he's having to write a letter because they can't talk mouth to mouth, what does that tell you about their location? There, there has to be some distance in between. Now, before we could text and send things electronically, how would you communicate over a distance in the first century? Yeah, you, yeah, you would write a, letter. write a letter. Or you could send a messenger, or both. Ah, yeah, you could. Now, how do you tell the difference between spam and a legitimate email? <laughs> or... Uh, Fishing. So you you check the source okay. to validate where it comes from. Yeah. You look for clues that this this doesn't really jive with what that author would say. Do you have to go through that training at your work? We have to go through training. It's like every three months on how to recognize a spam email. And okay, this isn't a class about that. But do you realize they had to do the same thing in the first century? Yeah, there, all kinds of people could show up and say all manner of things. Yeah. Yeah. So court says they, people could show up and just state outright lies. So how would you protect against that? If only there was a test. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, and we talked a lot about that. We won't maybe dive into that here. But you see now playing out what we read in First John, where John said, yeah, here's a test, here's a way. You know, every three months, go through this training to know, <laughs> test the spirits and know. And you remember the main test was, are they teaching that Jesus came in the flesh? And is it consistent with the teaching of love one another? That those are consistent parts of the, the message. Um, so who else do we run into? Do we learn? Maybe we should talk a little bit about the occasion. Why did the elder pick up the pen and decide, I got to write Gaius now? other than the brother said something good about him. You get the idea this is more than just a complimentary letter. What was the problem? Yeah, what is the problem that Gaius is responding to? 
Ah, there's always the villain. Who are the other people that we are introduced to in this letter? One is Diotrephes. And do you get the idea he's the good guy or the bad guy? Not <laughs> best case he's on the fifth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really proud of Tim. I'm just going to compliment him. Do you realize how long it's taken him to be able to say diatrophies? Oh, Did man. you hear that just roll off the tongue <laughs> like when he read that? Two weeks, like hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> you did great. Oh, it took so long. Yeah. It's hard to get your mouth around that for the first time. Do you know what that word means? Oh, yeah. Diatrophies. It, it actually has two words, dios, which you might know is, it's back then, that's where we get our term God, but it, it referred to Zeus. And trophies means to eat, like go to the trough. And it means one, one who is fed by Zeus. <laughs> and so we don't know if that's his actual name, poor guy, or if John was... But you kind of can't help imagining him like on all fours, eating out of a trough. Yeah. It doesn't help his, his character qualities at all. But specifically the trough that is filled by Zeus, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so you get this. Even his name brings the idea of he's up to something really evil. And then did you catch the character trait that he gives? What's the character trait? What's that? All about me. Six words in English. One who loves to be first. It's one word in Greek. It's a philo protos. Like your prototype first, philos, a friend of being first. They actually had one word because you know what that character trait is, right? I bet names come to mind. Careful. <laughs> People, oh, sorry. <laughs> we will not be taking names today. But it, it's, it's a character trait. It's been true ever since there's been human beings. And the Greeks actually had one word for it. It's a first lover. And that's what diatrophies was. And specifically, what, what is it that diatrophies was wanting to do? Or what was he doing? does not recognize the authority of the elder. What else? Exactly right. <laughs> he would just say, ba 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 He talked. Wicked nonsense. Well, except that's not wicked nonsense. <laughs> We're going to say that was actually beautiful nonsense, but it's <laughs> learning to talk. Oh, no, you can put this together totally. Yeah. He's not, so Diotrephes is not wanting to support those who are working for God. Who, who did want to support? Gaius. So, well, yeah, so, so you, get, you get this contrast between Gaius and Diotrephes. And I, I like to infer a little bit, because I think it's fun, we're the scenery. But you imagine if, if, if John sent these brothers to Gaius, said, here, deliver this letter, how do they know where to go? Do they have addresses? Do they know what Gaius looks like? And so I, I assume, I infer a little bit, that they went to the marketplaces. They went to the public places, and they started speaking. They started proclaiming this message that they're carrying around, and you get this idea that Gaius and Diotrephes, who may have been in the same church body, we don't know, but maybe they knew each I assume they knew each other, because John emphasizes that they kind of did, but maybe they're standing in the marketplace listening to these men talk, and you see, you kind of get the impression Gaius' face starts to light up, and Diotrephes is like, nope, this is trash. We're not bringing this in. Yeah. And so they're both testing the spirits, 
but their basis of standard is, is dramatically different. Guys is using the information he's gotten from John, potentially the things that he's read in First John, that letter's probably been sent around, and to Atropy, he's just in his own world, doing his own thing. He's being deceitful, he's ruining this message that he's heard, and he's testing poorly. And so you get this huge stark contrast, not specifically in your face, but definitely read between the lines that these two guys are vastly different, and you need to see that. Yeah. How would, how would you describe how Gaius is taking care of these traveling servants? Yeah. All those sorts of things that they would have to have. Which then implies what about his standing in the society? He was obviously of an upper class. Uh, and even his name is Roman. So he was likely a Roman convert, which would have already been somewhat setting him out as an outlier in society. Uh, but yeah, he had some means, obviously, to, not, to support not just one person, but potentially a group of people. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And did you get the phrase that John uses there when he says to Gaius, you do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God? There are different ways you can interpret that. What does that mean, manner worthy of God? <clears throat> it could mean a manner that would make God happy, <laughs> a manner uh, worthy of those who follow God. Most likely what it means is you send them on their way in the same way God would if he were to provide exactly all of their needs. Isn't that a beautiful statement? That's the, this isn't just a token, here's a couple you know, dollars to help you on your trip. This was, I'm going to send you on your way the way God does his work all over the world, providing your need. So that's the level, Gaius. And how would you describe how Diotrephes treats them? You mentioned, well, it's, it's the polar opposite of that. Not only not helping, but kicking people out of this assembly who want to help others. Uh, before we interpret this, we need to mention there's a couple other things to catch. One is another name. Who's the other name we're introduced to? So a guy named Demetrius, Demetrius which you've got to keep separate from Diotrephes. Oh, yeah, that took yeah. me a while, too. <laughs> what, do we, what do we learn about Demetrius? Yeah, good guy or bad guy? Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. We'll put him on the good list. He's a good guy. Fill in the blanks there. What is? Yeah, why is he good? What's what makes him good? Oh, <laughs> good's that, Mike? Why did yeah. you Why do you say that? Because <laughs> <laughs> it says so. <laughs> Mike Mike has what we call a footnote revelation. <laughs> yeah, what, but let's let's play with that a little bit. It says there in his Bible at the bottom, yeah, Demetrius. Ah. So somehow this is the person who has, yeah, is known in both both connections. Uh, this is something you have to come outside the letter to know, but one of the things you should recognize is that in the first century, they did not just pick up their phone and write a text or send an email. That they, we've already said that people communicate by these letters. Those letters had to be carried by people. How do you know that the person carrying the letter is trustworthy? Well, and also, there's no formal mm -hmm. mail system. 
you know, like we have the United States Postal Service. They don't have that. Well, there was, there the was a butcher form of it, yeah, and the Romans were, but like in, in most of the day, they didn't, you didn't go and pay to send the letter out. It would cost a lot. A lot of money, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, even, and even this letter, the length of it gives you the impression that it was, this was more of a traditional letter of the time. Yeah. It was short, it was sweet, it has all the points. It's even actually a tad longer than the average one. But, yeah, yeah this was obviously something he wrote quickly and, hey, go take this. Yeah, and there's one more layer to this just to catch, and that is Demetrius is highly likely he did not just show up and say, letter for Gaius, you know, which one's got, oh, it's you. Here's your letter, and then here's the next. It's not that kind of messenger. He's actually showing up with this letter in hand because this letter serves multiple purposes, but one of the main purposes is this is my resume. This is my CV. So in the first century, if you just showed up in a town and started talking and nobody knew you, there's no way to know. Is this guy telling the truth or not? But if you carried a letter from someone that everybody else knew, it was a stamp of authenticity to say what this person is teaching is correct. You'll see Paul reference this in some of his letters where he'll, he'll say, I, I don't even need a letter to you in Corinth because you are my letter. <laughs> you know, you're able to speak for me. And so he's making a reference to, to this practice. So could it be that Demetrius is the one carrying this letter, but it's not just to deliver the letter. Why would Demetrius be showing up? Based on what you know so far. And that he ran out of room on his papyrus. <laughs> he ran out of room there. Why would Demetrius be going to wherever this occurs? Good. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So the mouth, the mouth to mouth, the face to face, is not implicitly implied that it's John's mouth bringing that message directly. It could be a messenger from John, such as Demetrius. Which, yeah. Which, yeah. as you pointed out, you see throughout the New Testament. That was a common practice, and most of the letters you get, somebody sent it, and that person helped explain it more, and then went into more detail mm -hmm. than what was just written. Uh, by the way, who who supplied what was needed for Demetrius? Who sent him on his way? to Gaius in a manner worthy of God. The letter doesn't say, here's where you're filling in the blanks. But who likely sent him on his way to Gaius? John. Yeah. With this letter. Now the story starts coming together as you have John sending one of these brothers to the church where Gaius is with a letter to say, Demetrius has something to say and report. I hope to get there someday and say it too. But he's coming with a message. And, and it's more than just, hey, Diotrephes is doing wrong. Demetrius is probably one of these brothers who's coming to teach more accurately about Jesus and to, to build up the assembly that's there as well as do evangel you know, to evangelize or give the gospel to the community. In other words, he's one of these brothers which, what is then the message to Gaius? Oh, now we're starting to get, uh, we should go to the next oh, we've part. We've got to move into D. Yeah, we've got to do D. Let's determine, what is the message then to Gaius? Determine what is the message to the original audience. The original audience was Gaius. 
Now we look, remember this particular passage we read, do not imitate evil, imitate good, because whoever imitates good is from God. Whoever does not has not seen God. That's the verse. What did that verse mean to Gaius or the original recipients? Mike's thinking. What do you think? What does the footnote say? <laughs> he does. Yeah. You know what's real, you know what's true. Do not imitate what is evil. Now fill in the blank. To Gaius, what comes in the blank there? Do not imitate what is evil. Don't imitate evil. Now you fill in the blank. That's what Diotrephes is doing. But imitate what is good. Fill in the blank. Who's doing what is good? You are, yeah. What you're doing. And you see now, that's what John is saying is, hey, don't imitate what's evil. It might be really tempting to wonder if what Diotrephes is doing is what I should do. But he's saying, no, don't imitate what's evil. That's, that's the way people act when they don't even see God. Uh, you imitate what's good, which is what you are doing, what we've heard from the beginning, in taking care of these people who are spreading this message and being a part of, he says, that great, that great work. Do you see how that's the, that's the real message to Gaius? Now comes the fun part. What do we, let's identify the common particulars, what do we share in common with the original audience? And let's just brainstorm for a minute. What are some things that we share in common with Gaius and this church so long ago? All right, we have some who come and practice evil and not, not good and come through our town, even our assembly. Well, and more specifically to this case, yeah, someone who's already there. Mm. Not necessarily coming in, but someone who's amongst you already. Could be both, yeah. Yeah. What else do we share in common? Wow. So two, two sides, Stephen brings up two sides. That one, we still, as followers of Christ, have the means to help people who are doing the work. But then you also mentioned in our day and time, the message is still spread not just by some electronic means or by letter it's spread by people isn't that amazing that's still how God gets the good news that we hear here today and gets it to the rest of the world it's through people Uh, what else do we share in common So Mike says, we still have a mix, good and evil, and we still have the ability to discern between those two. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Which is the opposite of what we were really hearing in Second John, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah, job. Good job, Tracy. <laughs> yeah. Could it be that Diotrephes is redeemable? But not imitatable. <laughs> in other words, don't do what he's doing. I'm going to come and address that. Yeah. What else do we share in common with the original audience? Anything else? One other thing that I want you to catch that may not just leap off the paper, but think about the church. Did you see how many times the word church is used in this passage? That word is ecclesia. It just means assembly. Um, and if if you read this and simply in English, then what comes to mind is whatever comes to mind when I say the word church right now. For some of you, it's going to be the building you're sitting in. In some of you, it may be the global family that you're a part of. Um, in the writer's mind, the answer to that would be yes. It's all of those. Yeah, you are, the thing we share in common is you are part of a multinational, multi-ethnic, multilingual global organization with outposts in every part of the world and the exercise of worship that we go through today when we take communion together you understand that's just part of our appointment with God that is going on all over the world being performed by brothers and sisters who today are struggling with their own issues of how do we follow Jesus in our culture and in our time and do you, you sense that we are not merely an assembly in and of ourselves in this bubble? The same Lord that we follow is the Lord of all of these assemblies, and we still have these connections. And those connections are not electronic. They can be, but the electronic communications are between people. You see how we share that in common. And sometimes we have travelers who come through, and sometimes we have people who are here, but that's still how this message, this building up, this growing up into Christ occurs is through people. Anyway, we're about to get to the very last little tidbit, which is to finally apply this verse. Anything someone wants to add to the things we share in common? Uh, I think it's important to note, if you notice in verse 9, where he says, I've written something to the church. He doesn't say what that is, but there's strong implications. You, he could be referring to First John. He could be referring to the Gospel of John. And so they have very similar foundational texts. Um, the same ones that we do. So just as, and you also get the impression that John is overseeing multiple locations. He, he is affectionately um, um, concerned with multiple ecclesias across large geographic areas. And so in a very similar way, John's concerned about us, about the readers. Because um, you realize, you know, the Gospel of John and First John wasn't written to a person. They weren't even really, they weren't letters. They were written to be shared amongst the church. Um, and we're doing the same thing today. Um, so we're learning from John just as they were. And so we're, we're just, we're their brothers. We're their sisters. And we're their um, community and family. No less than Gaius was, than Demetrius was, than Diotrephes was. You know, we're all, we're all in this community together, um, learning from the same things, recognizing the same authority um, as John was. Wow. Yeah, that's a powerful part. Well, there's a bell that says we better get to the point. 
And the final point there that we share in common is you have access to the same letters <laughs> that Gaius did. Gaius would be jealous because you have access to even more. But uh, you have the same letters. So now we can come back to our verse, which is verse 11. that says, don't imitate evil, imitate good. For whoever does what is good is from God. Whoever does not do what, or whoever does what is evil has never seen God. Now I can ask, what does that verse mean to us today? Tell me what it means today. Which is? Yeah. And what is what is evil? And remember, it has to mean the same thing to us, isn't it to him? What does it mean to don't do evil? He's saying well, it is a sin, but now your mind just went really broad. Bring it back. But let's connect those two things, because that is a missing of the mark. It is a sin. But what Stephen's point is, it's really tempting to apply this to everything in your life. This verse, very powerfully, is referring, he wants, he, he wants one thing to come to mind. Do not imitate what is evil. Who in the passage was doing evil? Yeah, he's saying, don't be a diatrophies. <laughs> don't be a person who's just kicking people out because you want to be first. <laughs> Instead, imitate what is good. And what is good in this passage? But, but even at the heart of it, so hospitality is, I think, the physical ramifications of what you're seeing. But what's the, the heart of it? What, what he's been hitting on in First John and Second John isn't necessarily just, you know, welcome in people who are preaching the message and kick out those who are necessarily deceitful. But the heart of it is, don't hinder the message. So the, so the good and evil you're seeing here is a contrast between Gaius was pro, pro, propitiating the message of Jesus. He wasn't stopping it from being spread. Whereas Diotrephes was actively resisting it. He was kicking out people. He was trying to stop the message of Jesus being spread. And with heavy emphasis in the letters of John of what is that message that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he was resurrected, and he, 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 he came down to earth and bore the weight of our, of our sin and death and so that we could have life. But he came in the flesh, heavily emphasized in all these letters, yeah. that he came in the flesh. So that message, stopping it, you are... You're all those things that he's already talked about. You're a seed of the snake. You're an antichrist. You're a deceiver if you refuse to let the message propagate. So don't do that. That's evil. And then there's the positive side, which is imitate what's good, which is, as you say, let it spread, is do everything within your power to find those people who are going out for the sake of the name and doing work for the sake of the name and send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. That's the, that's the message of Third John, is you are a part, and that's what he says. When you do that, you are a part of this amazing work that God is doing all over the world, right here, as well as in our city, our uh, state, our nation, and even the, the whole world. Well, and then emphasis on... You know, when we think about missions, I think we tend to default and think, oh, that's over there. That's somewhere else. But where was Gaius? He was in the middle of it. 
living it. And can you imagine the conversations they had at his house? So you figure, you know, these brothers came in with this information and stuff from John, and then they're staying with him. They're living with him. They're eating meals with him. And you know Gaius was, was increasingly blessed by this encounter. Not only was he blessing them, but he was probably more so blessed in and of himself to yeah. get this type of camaraderie and community with them. Yeah. And it's interesting that the congregation here, we were in that phase where we're talking about what does it mean to support mission work? And John drops right into our congregation at just the right time with the same letter he sent the guys and says, yeah, in your support of this work throughout the world, don't be like Diotrephes. You be like Gaius. You do what is good. Do you see the, see the point? All right. Well, we got we we got one t- minute. We got to tie a knot on this. Yep. Okay. That's all the letters of John from the New Testament, the Gospel through First, Second, Third John. Wrap it up for us. How do you tie all those together? <laughs> okay. So the thirty-second insight that I would have is, as you go through all of those, um, at least for me, and what hit me the most was, I can't be a Christian in a bubble. I can't sit at home, read my Bible, pray, read all these books, and think I'm going to gain super spirituality by this alone. Um, information doesn't create spirituality. Wisdom doesn't gain you deeper faith. You have to have a community. You have to have other people. I mean, clearly, the the only commandment you're given in the Gospel of John, love one another the same way that I loved you. And then the letters of John just emphasize that over and over and over again. You have to have love for one another because that's the whole mission of Jesus. That's why he came here, is because he loves each and every one of us. So hopefully you take that as an invitation now to open up these books in your Bible. And in your time with God, allow the message first given to them now to be given to you in this place and time. And hopefully now you feel free to do that. May God bless the reading of his word and our attempt now to go put it into practice. Let's prepare now for worship.